just a nine to five grind in the healthcare field. Now, today I'm discussing more about the mindset of running a business because I feel like so many people, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mindset and Margin Podcast. I'm your host, James. And if you're new here, basically discuss all topics for healthcare professionals that are interested in getting to residential assisted living, just in general, looking to have a different business and another business outside just a nine to five grind in the healthcare field. Now, today I'm discussing more about the mindset of running a business because I feel like so many people are interested in starting businesses in today's you know social media and the hype and everything but they don't really consider what it really takes to run a business and I feel like one of the biggest things is that you have to be ready for failure so it's how to turn your failures into valuable lessons because so many people quit their jobs or start slacking in their jobs because like you know what I'm gonna be an entrepreneur and they run in head first only to find out that it's not just hard to run a business but it's also mentally draining to run a business so not just financially or with your family, but just within yourself of taking failures because especially people who are, you know, type A personalities, maybe always did well in school, they're not used to failing. And our school system and the way that we're raised is that failure is bad. Failure is not good. So many of the times that we fail, we feel like, you know, life is over. I know that was for me, for example. I was so used to being, you know, the honor roll student, always having good grades. You know, if I got a C, I remember back in the day, you know, I would cry or tell my parents, you know, I'm a failure, I got a C. And that was just always how my mindset was. Even though my parents didn't push me towards that, my mindset always was that, oh, you know, if, if I get a C or if I, you know, I, I don't think I've ever got a D or F, but you know, if, if I don't do good enough on a test, like I'm a failure. And that's pushed so heavily on us by society that when you go into business, and you fail, you think the same thing. Whereas reality, you realize even big box companies, when they fail, it's really just a lesson. So for me, I'm going to explain my definition of failure first. So to me, failure in terms of personal, professional, within your business, whatever you want to consider as failure, I think of it as lessons. I think of failure as basically testing. I'm really big on the science background and that you, let's say you have a hypothesis and you're testing out your theory and you may have it right, you may have it wrong, but you're going to keep testing it again until you get what you're looking for, right? Until you get that right answer. So that's how I look at failure. I look at it from that aspect. Whereas most people, in my opinion, look at failure as I started something for the first time. It didn't work out. The second time, it's not going to work out again anyway. Why try? I'm quitting. Let me do something else because I'm not good at this. Because I did right off the bat, you know, off the snap of my finger, I wasn't good at it. So that means that I'm not good at this at all. Let me quit. Let me go do something else. I feel like that's what most people look at in terms of failure, which in my opinion is wrong. So that's what we're going to discuss today. We're going to discuss even some of the common failures we're going to go over as well too with residents residential assisted living because so many people um, in, in residential assisted living feel like when they have a failure, same thing too. Like I, I've had so many people ask me for opinions that, you know what? I apply one time, James, it didn't work out. Like what else can I do? Maybe Airbnbs, midterm rentals, maybe just rent to nurses. Like I tried assisted living. It didn't work out. I'm scared. I don't want to run a business. Whereas it was just, they didn't understand a certain aspect of it. So the common ones I see is financial mismanagement. Maybe they didn't understand the budget, things they have to do, things of that nature. I noticed is a big one, not training their staff properly. So it's just, chaos is havoc when they run their businesses because their staff don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And the list goes on and on. Those are some of the common failures that we're going to be that, that we're going to be discussing and also going more in depth on those and more as well. So the first thing I want to do before we even get to that is I want to make sure we understand failure. So we explained it. So I already explained it to me in terms of entrepreneurship and especially in residential assisted living, failure is just a lesson. It's just getting you prepared for the success that's inevitable in the foreseeable future, right? It may be the first, the, the second, the third, the 
fourth, the seventh, the eighth, but it's eventually going to happen. So I want to make sure we understand that first, that that's what failure is. Failure is a lesson. Failure isn't just, I tried one time, it didn't work out, and that's it, I'm not doing it anymore. Failure is lessons that's going to lead you to your success. Now, why is that essential to understand and recognize? Because if, again, you're somebody who, let's say you applied, and a big one I see is not a lot of people not understanding the policies and procedures. A lot of people quit. Whereas in reality, what you could have done is said, okay, maybe I'm not good at writing policies and procedures. Maybe the one I turned in is not that great, but you know what? Let me go ahead and have someone else write it for me. Let me look into see other avenues or do some research and see who can I pay to handle my policy and procedures for the next time around. Even though it may take another three, four, five, six months, I know eventually when I get this business running, this could be generational, right? And I'm not knocking anybody else's business, but this isn't just one of those you know trendy online businesses that anybody can hop into. Like, no, there's people who ran these businesses for decades and gave them to their families. So it's very, very serious to understand these things when you learn to run these businesses that you want to acknowledge your failure because eventually they're going to lead to success. And again, it happens a lot. There's a lot of challenges you're going to face in residential assisted living. You got to just be prepared for those as an owner. And my motto basically is not if, but when. When this occurs, how am I going to handle this? When it's a mistake with, you know, maybe misdiagnosing a certain thing, maybe doing an incorrect assessment, having to speak to doctors about a mistake we, we made, families, maybe um, some, some type of incident report that I have to uh, correct. When that happens, how am I going to handle it? And then just having processes, standards of operation procedures for that. That way, when it does happen, okay, I failed. Here's how I can learn from that. Here's how I can edit and then move forward from there. Now, the most common ones I see specifically in residential assisted living, as we mentioned, the first one is just the staff, right? What happens is people are so quick to get into this business that once they're licensed, since this has taken so long, let's say it takes you eight to 10 months to get licensed. So much of your willpower has went towards that. So you no longer have, I would say, the patience of someone who, let's say, opens a bakery that may take one or two months. And then now from the rest of that period for however long they run that business, it's learning how to run the specific business. Now, to make that in a sense, residential assisted living, think about it. You have to buy a home, which takes a month. Looking for the home, finding the home, financing the home. Then once you finally get the home, now you have to turn the application. And depending on how you have someone like me mentoring you, it may take you a year, a year plus to finally get your license. So after that point, you're ready to go. So what do most people do? They hire anybody. They put out a listing. They're trying, they're trying to make up for any losses they've had of just paying that mortgage and waiting to get licensed and not making any money. So they hire anybody. And that's the number one way to fail is to hire anybody. You should have processes of interviews, training, of course, have policies to write them up if something does happen incorrectly, because you don't want to get sued also by an employer for false, you know, firing them for the wrong reason or not, not going through the right protocols per your state. So there's so many things that people go into and they find out late. So maybe they hire someone who's inadequate, who's not good. But by the time they figure it out, it's too late because they, they didn't do the right policies. They don't know how to fire them, let them go. Whatever it is, there's so many things that happen. And the biggest thing is when you don't have the right staff, they don't provide the right care, right? So that the care that they provide is not that good. So then what are you going to do? <laughs> you're going to have to step in, keep your eye on them, but you don't know what you're doing either because you just started the business. So the biggest one I see is inadequate staff training. That's the biggest common failure I see. And of course you can learn from that, which we're going to go over. Now, the next one, the next one is compliance issues. And I know everyone hates this one, right? Legal challenges. What are the regulations in your city, in your county, pro ordinance? Who do you have to speak to? The fire marshal, your uh, LPA, your analyst, they have their own regulations. Then you got to read up the state guidelines and also make sure that they correlate with what your city's looking for. And there's so many different things that you have to keep in mind in terms of compliance. And people just, you just don't have time for that when you start. So this kind of failure, I understand, but it's a costly one because if you don't do it correctly and you're not compliant, you're going to get written up. If you get it written up for multiple times, there's fine. Like I know there's certain 
certain finds, for example, especially with fire clearance, that if you, like, let's say you're supposed to have a, a specific door or a window and you don't have it, you could be charged thousands of dollars in fines until you get it corrected. If you already have residents, of course, in the home. So not just ignoring the regulations and not reading them is a, sure, is a sure way to fail just from that within itself. So the biggest one also I see too is compliance issues that people have a hard time getting over once they fail. Now, the next one is financial mismanagement. And I can talk about this one forever, but really, it really comes down to it's just people not understanding that, okay, I have X amount of money. I need this amount to last until I make income from residents to then pay myself back and or my debt. So I don't obviously fail and close down my business. People just don't understand that. Now, luckily for California, a lot of people I mentor because I had to get approved for California, they make you write out a complete list that they provide you of all the expenses you can think of from all the way down to how much toothpaste is going to cost per resident, all the way up to, of course, how much the mortgage and how much insurance is going to be to run this business. So there's so many different aspects that they make you do that tries to prevent this. And they basically, what they do is once you have this full list, mine usually varies, let's say 15 to 18,000 per month, they make you multiply that by three and you have to have that amount of income in your bank sitting there for the entire process of application. So we're going to get into that, but other states, uh, from what I understand, don't require that. So people don't understand how much they need to have in the bank, have to the side. So they come in this business with nearly nothing. And then when a residents need supplies and there's equipment you have to buy, and there's maybe certain amenities that you offer that you now have to back up until you get paid, which can take a couple months. And then let's say that for example, a lot of people use placement agents when they first start, which basically just a quick explanation of that is just someone who's finding res residents for you, but they charge you 80, 90% of the first month's uh, fee for the resident. And you have to pay them that and they don't realize that. So that's all their income. So now they're one or two months behind. And I see it happen so many times. And that's the biggest mistake is that, and this is any business, you should have three months of operating costs. If you don't have it, you're not ready to open the business yet. Take some time, save up, don't be in a rush. Again, this business is for decades. You're going to be running this forever. And then you, maybe your kids will take over if they're not you know, annoyed by the business. If you're talking, if, <laughs> talking about it since they were a kid, they're going to take over the business. There's no need to rush. Take time, budget out, make sure that you have the management of financials because this is a mistake that can cost you as well. Now that leads me to my next point though, which is marketing. That's It, it makes sense, right? Marketing. You should market. Most people do not market. I was one of those people in my first home that did not market. And that's a big failure because if you don't market your home, which I recommend, if you follow me on TikTok, if you listen to my email or read my emails, listen to the podcast, I've already mentioned my strategy moving forward, which has worked and I teach people is that you should be marketing from the time that you turn in the application. You should be marketing from the time that you buy the home. Even though you don't have your rooms, even though you don't have everything set up, you, can, uh, you can't market in terms of like, obviously like commercials or Google ads or anything like that, Facebook, because you need a license number, at least in California, but you should be at least collaborating, networking with people, going to doctor offices, social workers, all these things. And people don't do that. They wait to market until they open the business. Now, I know you're probably saying like, what's wrong with that, James? Why, why would I not wait to market until I finally have the home open? Well, the problem with that is that when you do that, keep in mind, any business, it takes time to market, right? You're not going to open up you know, an ice cream parlor and it's not a national brand and just start selling ice cream the first day, right? It's going to take time of you consistently marketing, learning your demographic, learning the right marketing strategies that works to eventually finally get some clients, learn from them, and then grow and scale. And most businesses aren't successful for what, three to five years? On average, just a general business. So if you market and it takes that long, how long does it take you to be profitable? So what happens to people is, again, in our business, it takes time to even get licensed. You're already about a year in just getting licensed. So by the time it's time for you to market, now you're taking another six, eight, nine, 12 months. Now you've had this home for two years and you don't have the residence that you thought you would have. And you're still paying this $2,000 mortgage, right? It's a huge mistake, a huge failure. And it causes a lot of people to shut down. I've seen, if you don't believe me, go into form. I've seen so many people say, hey, I own, I own this assisted living home in Colorado, but I've been vacant for like two or three years. What do I do? What am I doing wrong? And it's like, well, you're not marketing, right? That's your failure. You're not marketing correctly.
correctly. And now that you're barely trying, yeah, you're getting some groundwork, but like you said, you're getting one resident, then that one resident moves, something happens, now you're back to zero, then you market a little bit more, now you're at two. And it basically just takes time at this point now. So that's a big failure for people because some people just don't have that time to wait for marketing. Now, the last one I want to discuss is resident satisfaction and just being able to have what I lead to retention, your residents staying within you. It's a common failure because again, maybe you rushed into the business, didn't have a mentor, try to figure it out on your own and you got licensed, but guess what? Now it's time to run the business. Like I always mention, I tell people all the time, again, licensing is totally different from running the business. Licensing is just making sure that you're licensed, you know what you're doing, which is good. But now it's time to learn how to run the business. What's your processes? What's your SOPs? This is what makes people stand out in the business when they're first starting and people, again, don't realize this. So it's a huge failure within the market of people who can't keep residents because they move in. They take faith. The family says, okay, you, you don't have any residents, but okay, I'm going to move someone in. But you're late. You don't help out with appointments. You're not ready for medication pickups because you're still trying to figure things out and it causes them to fail again. But again, and this one is not too bad because I feel like this just comes in from experience or having a mentor. But of course, it is a failure if your business isn't successful. Now, I don't want to just share, of course, general ones. I want to speak to myself as well to give real life examples to show you some examples. Now, my first one is financial mismanagement. And I'm going to give you guys an example. When I first started this business, I want to say I had about a little under $20,000 and just income sitting in my bank. And I did not know based on the mismanagement of finances that actually, at least in California, they're looking for more closer to 40. So what's weird and what I, again, I fight on, but it's just, it is what it is. You don't find out you don't have enough money until you are about two thirds of the way or at least 50% of the way through the whole process of the application. So you apply, you do everything, you do everything correctly. A fire marshal comes out, everyone comes out and it's already about two or three months in, but you don't only figure out, Hey, by the way, you don't have enough income. We told you three times the amount, but the thing is they don't tell you that until your first time of you really knowing that. So now I know this because I've had this L, I've had this failure, but I didn't know that there's an X amount because they just give you a blank sheet to fill out. And they're like, okay, you have to have three times as much as you calculate, but then they'll correct you if it's too low. So mine was like, okay, I'm going to do probably do about six to $7,000 in, in, in uh, expenses because I plan to work in my own business. But they're like, oh no, we want you to have income of enough if you were to hire fully and you're not working it at all. And I was like, well, if I do that, it's going to go from 7,000 in expenses to like 15,000. Like I don't have 40,000 plus my bank only have 20. And they're like, well, if you can't have that 20 plus thousand in the next month or two, unfortunately we would have to send your application. You have to fail and you have to reapply when you have that income. So that's what I had to do. I had to close it down. It took a few months of extra saving, extra asking family members and putting income together, getting a business credit card. And I plan to go into more of the financial aspects because that was a mistake of me thinking I had to have cash as far as saving. I wasn't looking at any strategies that could really propel me and be quicker in getting my finances and maybe through a business loan or investors, whatever it is, crowdfunding, different avenues that I'm going to be discussing too. But that was one of my biggest mistakes because not only did I mismanage the money, it took me a long time to save that money. I could have really prevented that if I already had strategies or at least knowledgeable and took the time to read of different avenues to quickly get income so I can get back to applying and again, making income in that, that home that I own. The next one is not particularly to me, but I do want to talk about it because again, it's a common one I kind of mentioned in the beginning is people not passing their exams. So in most processes, for example, you're probably going to have to take some type of exam to even show that you qualify, whether it's to be an administrator or even just your interviews to show that you know your stuff. And so many people fail this because I'm going to be honest, if you, let's say if you have a high school education and these based off the guidelines and policy and procedures, it is pretty stringent and really in depth. And it is kind of complex because it's a lot of legal jargon. So if you don't fully understand that, you're more than likely going to not pass the exam. And I've seen so many people with the home, with the money, everything, even the experience, right? Maybe they were 10 plus years as in CNA, LVN, but they're not good test takers and it causes them to fail. Now, this one I feel like could be preventable by hiring somebody who's an administrator. I know it takes a lot of income 
come out of the business and you rather be your own administrator, but simply bring in someone with a high school, with a, with a college education maybe, or just a great test taker who understands this jargon, passes the exam, becomes your administrator. It's going to save you a lot of money, a lot of time. So that's something I recommend for people, but those are the two I see. So obviously financial mismanagement, which I dealt with, but another one is just people who can't pass that exam and they quit for that reason. Both of these people quit for financial mismanagement or the exam, but these are the two common ones I see. Now, I want to transition a little bit into now of how can you embrace these failures and learn from. So I break it down to really into about four steps. The first thing you can do is first off, reframe your mindset of failures and mistakes. Like I said, it's a learning opportunity. Failure does not mean you're a loser. You're not meant for you. It's just not in your plans. None of that. It just means that it's a learning opportunity for you. It's a lesson. So first off, reframe that thought. Next, you want to do some type of conducting of post failure assessment. So start to look at, okay, what have I failed at? How did I fail? And start looking at, okay, why did I fail? And start looking how you can improve it. So the next step would be, okay, now that I know I failed, what are these things? I want to now have actionable takeaways from this. So I found out what it is. I found out what it failed. Okay. How can I, how can I prove from this? What can I take from this? What can, if it happens next time I can remember, oh, that's what I did. I don't want to do that. Now, once you have those two, so you have your post for your assessment, you saw what you failed at, you got your actionable takeaways. Next, you want to start doing changes and improvements within there. So now you want to look at it as, okay, maybe I save, for example, maybe my method was saving for the income of just working overtime and saving cash, which took me six, eight months to get the income I needed. Maybe I could have went to a bank. I have good credit and just got a business line of credit. Or maybe I could have even done a secured line of credit, put my income, put my assets into a secure business line of credit, let that build up. And then now when I pull that out, I can now maybe get a $50,000 line of credit through the bank and that'd have been a quicker process to get approved. You see what I'm saying? That's implementing changes and improvements in your business and in your processes. So once again, you know you what you failed at, you have your actionable takeaways that you're going to be looking for. How are you going to change or improve the next time? Those are the biggest things. Reframe, conduct the post uh, failure assessment, make sure you have actionable takeaways. And then once you have that, now it's time to actually have changes and improvements. This last one, most people don't do. They know what they're doing wrong. They write out actions, they write out goals of 90 days, one week or whatever. But when it comes down to that action, that's where they stop. So as I mentioned, these are all things that you can do. So what I want to do is the things I mentioned that are common mistakes in assisted living, I now want to go through each of them and show you obviously how you can prevent and mitigate those failures, even though they're good lessons. So some of the things you can do, as I mentioned, with training is simple. Learn how to train and or hire somebody. So if you're not the best trainer, you're not the best interviewer with staff and you're having hard times with retention or just good staff members, maybe delegate that to someone else on your team. Or there's a lot of third-party services you can do for ongoing education. So there's a lot of third-party services. You could, I know for us, we have residentialassistedliving.com, things like that, where professionals who have videos and content, and then you kind of just play the backfield to help them on the hands-on approach, but they're learning from someone else. The next thing is when it comes down to regulations and legal requirements, easy, quick answer is either you're going to have to learn how to strictly read those and understand them. That's what I do. I just dumb it down a little bit. I take the legal jargon, take it out, make my own notes with checklists that I can follow, or you're going to have to get against someone who can help you with that. And there's a lot of consultants out there who will help you with the legal part and the compliance part. That way you only can focus on the business operations. The next one, financial planning and budgeting. I kind of already went into that one. There's different strategies, which I plan to talk about business credit cards, business loans, personal loan if you need it. If you have real estate, maybe you have equity in your home, you can do a HELOC, uh, which is basically a line of credit, or you can do just a home equity loan, which could be a little difficult right now, but these are all processes you can do. And then of course, as I mentioned, when it comes to the marketing and the community engagement, the biggest thing you can do is just be proactive, a way that you could limit or prevent that mistake from happening and that failure from happening in terms of when you come to marketing, you're not filling up. It start as soon as possible from that second that you purchase the home and you get the keys. Okay, I'm setting it up somewhat and I'm getting I'm getting my name out there. I'm going to start inviting local placement agents. I'm going to start having um, meeting with doctors, 
with, with lawyers that specifically help seniors with their retirement. All of these people, social workers, distrust planners, rehab facilities, I'm going to start going in, handing out flyers, handing out brochures, letting them know everything I do. Because again, that the, the earlier you start for all the mistakes you make with the marketing, maybe you're not the best marketer, but by the time that you market enough and you get used to it, by the time that you open your home or close to it, you're already somewhat good. Then they recognize at least your face. And a lot of the times, if you're in a bigger city, in a bigger area, what it comes down to um, is really just, I'm tired of seeing this person. That's what I learned. And and we're going to talk about more about marketing on, on this podcast as well too. But once they see you enough times and they're like, well, if, if I don't if, if I don't bring anybody to this person, they're going to keep bugging me. They're going to keep calling me and I have other things to do. So they're on the top of my list to kind of get out the way, right? Because there's no incentive for them marketing you know, to anybody. Most of the places that are just brick and mortar businesses and it's not like a single owned place, there's no connection as far as like, you know, a boys club or a woman's club where it's, oh, I only give residents to this person because I know they're good. Like, don't get me wrong, that happens. But at the end of the day, if you're at a large corporation and the social worker or the planner, their job is just to get people in places that provide the best care. So if you're somebody who's constantly showing them what you offer and how you can be a best of service to them, they are going to give you residents. So again, the earlier you start, the better. And the last one, of course, to prevent mistakes from happening when you actually open up the business, when it comes to resident satisfaction and just retention is just prioritizing it. Listen to their feedback. A lot, a lot of the ages that you may get, I say anything under the years of 80 years old to 65, they can speak on their behalf. If they're not a memory care or hospice and they're just a, a resident within normal limits, as we call it in the healthcare field, they could speak on their own when it comes to food choices, when it comes to places they want to go, when they want to see their family, when they want to call them. If you listen to them, they're going to be happier. They're going to stay longer. And I always tell people, even though you're taking care of the resident, you really have to sell the family because at that age, what typically happens is most seniors want to live on their own until they can't anymore. And what I mean by that is they may go to the doctor a couple times after after a few falls and the doctor gives them a warning. The family thinks about it. They give them another warning. The family thinks about it a little more. And then finally it's like, hey, you know what? If you don't get things in order with your mom, your dad, your uncle, whoever, we're going to have to get the state involved to take care of this. And that's when families are like, okay, let's get together and get this done. So most of the time when you're marketing, when you're when you're helping out the resident, when you're moving them in, when you're giving a tour, it's, it's really the family say so. I would say if not so, it's the same more of who you have to really make happy. That's the satisfaction you have to look at and the feedback. So keep that in mind when you're prioritizing. That's the biggest thing you could do because because the failure, if you can have the resident completely happy, but if they no longer have the power of attorney, the power of themselves and they have a POA, power of attorney, which happens to be, let's say their niece, and she's not happy with your care, what do you think they're going to go, right? She's going to move them out maybe to her, to her home or to another place. So you have to keep those things in mind. And those are really all summarizing all the takeaways I have of trying to mitigate and prevent those risks and failures. But if it does happen, look at them as a lesson because the first, the second, the fifth time, whenever you finally get it, now you have it. It's in your systems and your procedures. You can train, you can teach other people and you are going to be okay. So it's important to embrace those failures, turn those into learning opportunities. And again, like I said, the next couple episodes and upcoming topics for this podcast is going to tie into that of things of obviously learning. If you listen to this podcast, all the mistakes and failures that I've learned, I can now teach. And maybe you never even have to make those failures. Maybe you learn from my lessons and you take those lessons and you even become even greater. So make sure you do those. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for showing up again. TikTok, these are where I plan to share the best audience. And I feel like a podcast, I can go more in depth. Obviously, I've done this podcast for what, about 25 minutes now. So I can go a lot more in depth than I can in a 30 second TikTok video on a YouTube page where, again, you have to keep the video going and there's other aspects you have to worry about. I love a podcast where I could just talk it out and you can listen on your ride home, you're with the kids on a walk. So I really hope this helps out. Don't forget to subscribe if you're new here. Make sure to rate the channel, review the podcast. And again, I will look at that stuff. Reach out to me via email. Of course, it's uh, james at carehomemastery.com. You can send any questions. And again, it's even more so engagement than just on a general TikTok comment. So make sure you reach out. Until then, see you next time.